Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Got a great show planned for you. We're going to talk about how to get the most out of therapy, how to find a good therapist. Um, In the past, we've talked about how to get yourself into therapy, how to get others into therapy, but I had a couple people reach out asking me about finding a good therapist. So I want to kind of talk about what that means, what that looks like. And then uh, we're going to spend the rest of the show talking about sexual assault, April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So a little bit of a content and trigger warning, important stuff, uh, but I want to give everyone a heads up so uh, you can take care of yourselves and you know, do what you need to do to ground yourself during that topic in case it brings something up for you. Want to just kind of talk quickly again about COVID. I I don't know about you, but I'm feeling overwhelmed by all the different reports that are coming out saying uh, increase in infections due to the variants. Oh, that's right. Our, um, our vaccines are only going to maybe give us a good six months and then we're going to need a booster and we're going to have to get another one. And then I'm hearing countries that are going back under full lockdown, Canada, just went back under full lockdown. That's right. Everything's shut. Everything's closed. They're saying, don't leave your house. I mean, we are not out of the thick of it. And yet here we have states that are wide open, no mask mandates, full capacity. California has been opening and opening and opening. We just last week hit 25% capacity allowed. Uh, They put out an article that might've changed, but June 15th, everything's going to go wide open again, but please wear your masks. It, it's a it's a little bit of a funky time. It's a little bit of a moment by moment, location by location. There's not a congruent um, response. Some people are now burnt out and they're like, I'm not wearing a mask anymore at your own risk. Whoa, the wheels have fallen off. So I guess I want to say a couple of things. Number one, we're all in it together. It's a very it's a complicated. It's changing quickly. Also, do what's most comfortable for you. If you still need to wear a mask and those around you are shaming you for it or saying, oh, you're vaccinated, you don't need it anymore, you wear that mask. If you're not ready to go back to work or to go back out in the world into social events, set that boundary. You know, even if you're vaccinated fully, that doesn't mean you can't have a breakthrough infection. It's happening. It's still risky. Not everyone's vaccinated. People are still not following the rules. Your life matters. And so I'm hearing a lot of people I'm working with that aren't feeling comfortable at work wearing a mask or socialization. They're getting, you know, their friends are giving them uh, pushback. Your health matters. It comes before all else. And so you have to do what you need to do. If your family members aren't following rules and guidelines and you're not comfortable, y'all got to sit down and talk about that. Like we're not out of the woods and I'm not holding my breath, but I'm, I'm wondering what's coming next. Because again, there's still rates happening around the world. And I know a lot of people that have been flying back and forth and taking this time to take advantage of those reduced ticket prices. And I'm not sure what they're bringing back and forth. And so I'm still following all the guidelines. I'm still not socializing. I'm still working from home. I'm still wearing my mask when I'm out in the world. Uh, Cause that's, what's comfortable for me. 
and I need to operate from authenticity about what I need. I don't care what everyone else needs. I don't care what anyone else is doing. I got to worry about me. And in doing so, I'm worrying about others because I'm making sure I don't participate in being part of the problem, right? I'm trying to model better behavior and trying to model boundaries and take care of ourselves. So just giving you all a little pat on the back, like it's difficult, it's confusing, there's challenging reports out there. So just continue to make sure you're getting your information from reliable sources. Uh, Yes, expect it to keep changing and evolving. This is still a novel virus that we do not know everything about. And like we're saying, there's new variants and there's different responses to vaccines. Johnson & Johnson is having issues at the factory. They're having issues with their people reporting immediate negative outcomes. Some sites have put a halt on using those vaccines. So we're, again, we're learning as we go, but we're all in this together. And so it's like, be kind with yourself, but also be kind with others. People are still trying to find a way to maintain their mental health in this. They're trying to find a way to get comfort, kind of leaving their home a little bit more. So we just want to be kind with ourselves, be kind with others. Everyone is where they are and everyone has a right to be where they are, but everyone's in a little bit of a different place with this. Because remember, we didn't all come into this with the same levels of comfort, right? We're all coming at it from different histories and different levels of support, different anxieties around getting sick and access to healthcare. So it's different. Um, But again, we're we're taking care of ourselves. We're focusing on our mental health. We're getting outside every day, right? We're getting sunlight, right? We're getting fresh air. We're staying connected to at least three people every day. We're moving our bodies. Like I want us to still be participating to the best we can in the world. And for those that are thriving, yo, pat on the back. That is amazing. Not everyone's having that experience. Some people are still slowly emerging. So Kind of be where you are and just take care. Just a reminder that uh, summer's coming. I know we're all getting antsy, right? Summer is about being outdoors, being around people, traveling, uh, feeling good. And I'm hoping we can have the summer of our fantasy and the summer of our dreams. But the only way we do that is by now on the front end, kind of following rules and following protocols. So if you haven't gotten vaccinated, please book an appointment and do so. And uh, keep following the protocols because we're impacting everyone else this summer by the decisions we individually make, right? It's systemic. So um, we're still thinking in terms of collective care and responsibility, trying to have that um, summer we want to have, but I don't know. I'm not sure what's going to happen. Every time I think I understand the process and what's coming next, that changes. especially around the world. So sending out care to those places where, again, Canada, your vaccine rollout has been absolutely abysmal and horrible. So Trudeau is definitely on the receiving end of that. Back under lockdown, Rio, the numbers are astronomically horrible. And uh, Britain and France not doing so great either. So sending out love to all y'all. All Uh, all right, coming up next, we're going to be talking about how to get the most out of therapy and then doing some DMs. Stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and uh, we're talking about therapy. I I realize I don't talk enough about the process and people will DM me or even reach out to me to be a client in my practice and they have so many questions about, well, how do I get into therapy? Or I'll have friends or family members saying, how do I find a good therapist? And so I thought, oh wow, we need to talk about this. I think I forget what some of the more basic elements of these topics are because I've been in, in the game for so long. So I wanna talk a little bit about how to find a good therapist, how to get the most out of therapy sessions, um, and a lot of this, and again, for those that are already in therapy, awesome. This will still apply for those that aren't interested in therapy. This still applies because there's some things you can always pull out that will apply to someone who's just generally trying to work on themselves, right? Which is something I think we all should be doing. So let me just actually start there. We all have work to do. 
and therapy isn't, um, nor is anyone working on self-improvement a sign that you're broken and there's something wrong. And I think that exists in some places. It does not out here in California where I am, but you know, that's us wild liberals. But when I was living on the East Coast, I'm a Philly boy. I remember when I was a teenager, uh, talking to my parents about therapy and I remember them dropping their voice and they're like, well, you don't, if you enter therapy, you don't want people to know because they'll think there's something wrong with you. What a heartbreaking perspective, because in fact, someone in therapy, there's a sign that it's a sign that there's something right with them. They're seeking help and improvement. You can, you know, I, I also see this actually with people in recovery from drugs and alcohol where we want to, and again, I use the word that are in recovery, we want to problematize that they sought help, but what actually happens is they're sometimes better. They're better than they were, but they're also better than maybe the average person because they now have ethics. They now have a mental health framework. They now care and focus on mental health. If you grab the random person walking in the world and you say to them, hey, what are you working on as a person or what do you need to work on? They don't know. That should scare you because that means they're on autopilot, reenacting the same trauma and issues within all their relationships, right? Whereas if you stop someone who's in therapy or someone who's in recovery um, and is working a program and you say to them, hey, like, what are you working on? What are your ethics? They'll, they'll tell you, oh, I'm working on being assertive and not aggressive. I'm working on bringing more honesty into my life. I'm working on intimacy and vulnerability. And here's how. That's a good sign that you can actually trust this person. They're aware of themselves. They're aware of how they impact others, right? They have ethics. They have a psychological framework. We all need to have that. So if you're listening and you can't answer that question, like what are your ethics rooted in? Or what do you need to work on to be a better person in the world towards yourself and others? Because again, our mental health is relational health. It's all about all the different systems and people we interact with and interface with throughout the day. If you don't have an answer, you need to work on getting one. You can do that in therapy. You can do that in um, self-help programs. You can also just do that on your own at home. But we all need to know that. So that's the first starting point is I think it's a good sign when someone's seeking therapy. And there's no, there's no wrong reason. I've had people really feel like they weren't bad enough. And I actually had a client many years ago who sometimes thought that they were taking a space from someone else. And I said, no, your, your, your work is valid, as valid as anyone else's work. Your life doesn't have to be falling apart, right? Um, you don't have to be suffering a major mental health issue or clinical disorder to seek therapy or help. Everyone has a right to say, I want to do self-exploration or I want to improve elements of my life or I want some accountability. I want another pair of eyes helping me kind of sort through my life. And so there's no bad reason. If anything, when in doubt, go. When in doubt, go find out. It's, it's amazing. People will come in with what we call a presenting problem or presenting issue. And sometimes it turns out that something else is an issue or through that work, we figure out and work on other things. It becomes this like vast constellation that spreads out. Um, so that's important, just understanding the basis of that. So then it kind of moves into how do I find a good therapist? And I'm gonna tell you, it ain't simple. Um, you know, you there's so many factors you want to understand, which is number one, that not everyone can work with everyone. You can't. And a good therapist understands the personality styles that they can work with. And I want you to assess, what does it feel like when you're sitting with and working with this therapist? Do you feel understood? Do you feel heard? Do you feel like they're relating to you and you can relate to them? Do you feel safe, right? Because not everyone can work with everyone. And then it kind of goes down to, we talk about different marginalized and exploited individuals. And for many people, it can go either way. I work with some females 
And it's important that they're working with a male because I can help them have a corrective experience of what a male relationship can look like, right? And then other people might say, I want someone of the same gender so I can talk about some of the issues that come up around the opposite gender. And they might not feel safe doing that with a therapist of the opposite gender. But again, sometimes it can be fruitful to work with the opposite gender so you can have a healing experience of those things. Some clients that are black want a black therapist. Um, they're afraid of the therapist that's white, maybe still operating from a racist or white supremacist ideology. I get that. Same thing with people that are part of the LGBTQIA community. They might want to work with someone who <clears throat> is directly a part of that community so as to not have to explain micro and macro aggressions and um, the different mental health needs of that community. Because every community does have different health needs. And some of what might be the reason or driving force behind a symptom in, let's say, a white cis hetero person, it might be very much different in a person who's black and gay, let's say, right? Where a white cis hetero person, their depression might be driven by something that's more chemical, where someone who's maybe trans, it might be dealing with transphobic culture where it's a systemic issue and it's not something that's wrong with them mentally, right? It's a systemic social problem that they're victimized by. And so it's a symptom of that victimization, right? It's not something wrong with them. So again, sometimes you want to find someone in that world. And then we also have to talk about specializations um, if you're stepping into something. And that's where, again, my work as a certified sex therapist is really important. And if you want to work on something around sex and gender, I always say find someone who's certified because you know that they have that necessary and special training and also have that sex positivity to help you with the diverse creative ways that you are sexually or relationally in terms of your gender expression. You know, um, all right, we're gonna take a break. And when we come back, we're gonna keep talking about how to find a good therapy and how to get the most out of therapy. But again, I want to just remind everyone, if you're thinking it's something for you, do it, pull the trigger. Um, teletherapy is a phenomenal thing. And I've been really impressed with the amazing work that's been done via Skype, you know, or Zoom that I didn't think was possible. I had to I had to be shown to believe it myself. All right, we're gonna take a little break and when we come back, we'll be getting back to all that. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about therapy, how to find a good therapist and how to get the most out of therapy. And again, this is something that's applicable to people considering it, people that might already be in it or even people that are you know, at home not interested or not able yet. You can still kind of uh, take some of these tips and tricks and, you know, apply them to your own self-work. So again, we talked in the last segment about uh, how difficult it might be to find the right therapist, right? Uh, you have to consider a multitude of factors, you know, just have to feel like there's some kind of compatibility there, but also you have to feel like they can really um, meet the needs that you have and understand the kind of needs that are going to come up. And that's why we often find someone who may be similar to us or even maybe different because we want a very healing, corrective experience. Um, so look at their bios. Right? Look at the kinds of things that they market themselves with. People use key terms. I purposefully say that I am sex positive and that I will work with sex workers. I will work with poly couples. I will work with gender issues. I uh, will work with people from the LGBTQIA community. And you know, look for those key terms because if they're not putting them out there, it might be because that's not something that they think about or that they're versed in. And then they might not be right for you if you follow one of those communities, right? Um, if you want to you work with people that are in it or an ally of it and they'll post that as a way to signal that like I'm someone who's safe and comfortable. So that's that. Also, honesty and openness. I appreciate that we live in a world that highly stigmatizes people. 
Um, I appreciate that we live in a world of a lot of shame. Uh, I appreciate that we live in a world where people have maybe had a lot of trauma at the hands of mental health or public health professionals. I appreciate that in, you know, again, our cis-centric white supremacist culture, that people that are of color and black and maybe trans or gay, that they don't always feel like the system is on their side. And you're correct. It often isn't and hasn't been. And there's a lot of people like myself that are trying to shift that and develop perspectives that challenge that and dismantle that. And um, just as someone who's a white therapist and a white cis therapist myself, I know that I'm very comfortable calling out racism with clients of color and transphobia with clients that are trans or non-binary or gender fluid and really allowing us to talk about the toxicity of whiteness and cisgenderism and cis sexism and all those factors, right? We can talk about that. Uh, you can work with some therapists that are part of that privileged class that are able to also challenge it and help dismantle it um, or not. But you have to be open and honest about what your needs are and what your struggles are and really use that therapeutic relationship to reduce the shame. Because I think sometimes, if nothing else, the most healing part of therapy can be having another person witness and be present non-judgmentally to these certain parts of yourself that the rest of the world problematizes or gives you shame about. It's been healing for some clients to say, I'm turned on by, or I'm interested in, or I identify as, and our therapy was a space for them to non-judgmentally have another person say, that's okay, I still am here for you. It's because of that that I'm here for you. I'm here for you in addition, or whatever it is. That's meaningful, and so therapy sometimes is the only safe space we can find that because our friends, family members maybe judge us, put us down, kink shame, uh, tell us we're confused, are homophobic, and therapy is the way to start to kind of practice trusting again, you know? But also we have to be consistent. I mean, a really, really a uh, couple important studies came out showing that it takes at least 20 sessions uh, once a week to get reliable improvement. So that's about five months of ongoing weekly therapy to start to see improvement. You have to understand, after years and years and years of the issues or being a part of this problematic culture or some systems, you can't expect to pop in for a few sessions and think that's gonna be enough to undo all of that. You know, think about if you're trying to train for a marathon, you can't go from the kind of endurance or cardiovascular functioning you have from your day-to-day -day life where you're sitting a lot, maybe taking the stairs sometimes, and think that within a few days or weeks, you're gonna be <clears throat> able to go run a marathon. You can't, you have to build up stamina you have to build up um, aerobic capacity. You have to strengthen the muscles to be able to tolerate that kind of um, stress on your body, right? It takes time. Therapy is about giving you a new perspective. It's about unlearning things. That's going to take time to build in and reinforce. So it's a commitment. You have to be consistent and you have to be patient and you also have to be honest. But the other thing I tell people is take notes during session about things you want to hold on to and be reminded of. Take notes as a way to hold yourself accountable between sessions because what happens in therapy is not as important as what happens outside, aka the entire rest of your life versus that one hour a week, right? And we can do that in our own general lives. We can track ourselves because it's about practicing and practicing being a new way, right? So we have to track ourselves, but we can all be doing that. We can all be choosing a few assets or factors of ourselves um, that we wanna work on and improve or eliminate. And then throughout the day or throughout the week, kind of tracking and bringing focus to that. Um, but also being honest with yourself and the therapist about how you feel like the process is going. Because again, not everyone can work with everyone. 
and uh, just make sure that you're approaching it with the right perspective and the right mindset. But um, more of us now need it than ever before because there's so much going on. So definitely um, access that. All right, coming up next, we're going to slide into the DMs and then a little bit of a content warning, trigger warning. We're going to spend the rest of the show talking about sexual assault because April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. We're going to talk about what it is, uh, some stats, you know, broad strokes. But uh, I just want to give a little bit of a content warning, but important stuff for all of us. So stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I've been with my boyfriend for four years. We are a strong partnership. All right, four years strong. Lately, I've been feeling like we are kind of complacent both sexually and mentally do you have any ways to maybe break us out of this law yes yes use the word complacent complacent usually means uh not exciting not dynamic repetitive habituated patterned playing it safe um so yeah we're, we're actually gonna kind of spin off those concepts so what can happen is right the deeper we get into a relationship we seek familiarity we seek consistency. And those are actually the things that really start to make sex and relationships really boring. It's always about newness and novelty. It's also about going out and experiencing the world. It's about expansion and fullness. But what can happen is we shrink our lives down to maybe um, going to work and then just coming home and it's the same old, same old. And we somehow forget to stay in the stages of courtship. We forget to still attract. We, we forget to still romanticize. We forget to still flirt. We forget to still court. And we need to do that. Your relationship isn't something that's going to feel good if it's just left off to the side, sitting there gathering dust. And so you have to still keep it fun and exciting. You have to you have to break out of your patterns and habits, whatever they are. Anything that becomes that familiar and pattern is going to inherently not have dynamicism or passion tied to it, right? We, we eat out at different restaurants. We watch different shows. We get excited when a new episode's coming, when we're going out for dinner, when we're dressing up, whatever it is, you have to bring that back into your life. This... This reference is a little dated, but I think y'all still get it. You can't make every night a blockbuster night, and you have to delay that as long as possible. Always keep date nights. Still keep sharing about your lives, but also keep participating. Here's what here's the um, paradoxical intervention, as we say. You help your relationship by even taking time away from your relationship. Time away from your relationship is actually an investment in your relationship because you're not letting it get boring and habituated. You're going off with your friends and then coming back, having had experiences, things to share, things to talk about. You're going off on your own. You're going off on to see family. But then you're also going out into the world with your partner to witness new things together. Go to dinner, go to the movies, go to the beach, go hiking, go for walks. Like I said, go away with friends, go away alone, have a date night. Also start talking about new and exciting things you haven't done or want to try sexually. Flip the script. Start with the ways you end sexually, right? Get it dynamic, but that's how you would do anything. If you said to me, hey, Dr. Chris, I've been eating the same thing for dinner every night for four years. It's feeling a little boring. What can I do? I'd say, eat something else. Add different flavors and spices. Cook it differently. Eat it in a different space in your home. Maybe light candles and play music while you're cooking and eating. Like you you just work with flipping all these different elements. But normally people fall in those patterns. You get home from work at six. 
you shower, you sit down, you guys eat one of the same three things or have it delivered from your favorite restaurant, then you watch your show and cuddle and go to bed and you wonder why that's boring. It sounds boring. Or it doesn't, and that's awesome. Congrats to you. But for this person, four years of that has really sucked their soul out of their relationship and their partner. So again, shake it up. And it's the small tweaks, as I said with my food example. You know what I mean? It's not about getting rid of your partner. You don't need anything dramatic. But if you're cooking the same, you know, tofu and rice every night, bring in different flavors. Run one night, make it Mexican. Another night, Indian inspired. Another night, Ethiopian, right? Keep flipping the script. Eat it at different times. It's all about change. But again, we shrink our lives down when we get into relationships. And it's like a box we check. And we're like, oh, we got it. It's handled. It's like, nope, you got to take it out into the world. So again, more intimacy, plan a date night where you go out in the world, make sure you're participating fully in your life, make sure everything's getting expansive and new and dynamic. It's the best thing I can offer. Um, keep, keep flirting, keep attracting, you know what I mean? Don't just run around all the time in pajamas, still try to attract each other, do all the things you did in the beginning. And that's what I always say to people, you knew what to do to build this person into your life and to court them. So you've done it do it again, keep doing it. And some of you might be thinking, well, not so much, but for those that have, I know you got the skill set. You just got to apply it. Um, but your relationship's worth it. You got a strong partnership four years in, you know what I mean? So do the work, <clears throat> things get flat. Anything we don't keep attending to. All right, enough of that. Uh, April Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So coming up next, we're going to talk about sexual assault. So a little bit of a trigger and content warning. Um, this is a topic where we're going to talk about different forms, right? What it can look like, some stats. Uh, and they'll be closing out with some DMs. So stick around and join us. Goddamn for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page in the DMs. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and I uh, just want to give a little bit of a content and trigger warning. We're going to be talking about sexual assault. April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month and so absolutely we want to talk about it. So um, yeah, just kind of ground yourselves, take care of yourselves. This might be a difficult topic for some. Um, I'd love for us to learn, for us to be transformed and if something comes up for you, just please make sure to you know, reach out to some support, talk it out, talk it through, uh, maybe even share some of the information we're talking about with those that you care about. And uh, Oh, let's all be in this together. Uh, you know, sexual assault, heinous, it's violence, and it creates a lot of trauma. And I guess on the front end, I want to recognize that um, how do we help resolve this? We'll talk about it a little bit, but we all take responsibility for creating a culture where we have healthy conversations, healthy relationships to sex and sexuality and arousal, and so many different threads that really weave into what sets up a culture to have sexual assaults. Um, so sexual assault is going to be any type of sexual contact, right? That harms it's violence. And that's going to be anything from attitudes to actions. You know, we, the attitudes and perspectives we have around sexuality and gender are going to kind of be the foundation upon which, um, all of these really emerge and are supported. And then it leads to a lot of actions, right? Um, so again, sexual violence can be words, it can be actions, it can be thoughts, it can be ideas. And we want to really work on dismantling all of that. And there's a lot of norms in our culture that really promote that kind of violence, gendered violence and sexual assault of violence. And it's about power over, um, what's woven in there is concepts around gender and toxic masculinity, uh, the subject, uh, excuse me, the subjugation of women and also just not really teaching consent. And this is why I go on and on and on, as many people do within the field, on really increasing the quality 
and content that falls into sex education because that's going to be the beginning of individuals being able to talk and understand boundaries and communication and also understanding consent. It's something that's not really, really, really understood in our culture. So before we get any deeper, I just want to give some facts. Um, one in six boys are sexually abused before they turn 16. One in six. And that's why, again, we have to start talking about body autonomy and boundaries. Um, one out of every 10 rape victims are male. And that's important for us to talk about. This is not just uh, people that are female that are sexually assaulted and victims of sexual violence. Um, here's the heartbreaking stat, though. One in two women, okay, one in two, 50%, have experienced sexual violence other than rape in their lifetime. And that's when we're talking about the ideas, the attitudes, the words, not just the actions. And um, here's another really hard to sit with stat, 73 seconds, okay? Every 73 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. And then we really start to break it down. Nearly 50% of trans people are sexually assaulted at some point in their life. 40% of gay men have experienced sexual violence. And most sexual violence is at the hands of someone the individual knew. I think the stats are about 75% or three out of four knew the perpetrator, right? And that's why we're always talking about at young ages, really training individuals to be able to communicate these things, to understand boundaries. Um, because again, it's not, we, we don't really wanna, we don't wanna victim blame at all. And so we have to put this on the perpetrators. Uh, men are those that tend to create the most sexual violence and sexual assaults. It's on the, at the hands of men. And so we have to really hold men accountable. Um, and again, we want to hold them accountable from the most foundational lever levels, really shutting down jokes and attitudes. And um, that's why I'm always also a big proponent for getting rid of gender norms and gender roles, because that's also the foundation of rape culture, right? And we'll talk more about that. But um, these stats are just heartbreaking. And this is how I get people to understand why this work is so important. 75% of sexual assaults go unreported. 75%. So our stats are underrepresentations. And they're gendered. A lot of men definitely don't come forward because it questions and challenges their masculinity. Also, there's some homophobia in that if it was at the hands of another male, right? And that's why people don't report. Fear of retaliation, uh, belief that the police won't do anything to help or might not even believe them. They don't wanna get the offender in trouble with the law if it's a family member or a friend. And that's when people ask, well, why don't people come forward? Well, again, not free, fear of being slut-shamed, afraid of getting a family member in trouble, afraid of not being believed. Uh, having to go through the criminal justice system. And again, like I said, if they're a male, uh, homophobia is woven in there, some toxic masculinity. Um, and then we look at the stats, which I'm not gonna run us through, but looking at the percentage of perpetrators that actually don't face any accountability. So uh, we're gonna take a break. And when we come back, we're gonna keep talking about this. We're gonna kind of break down the different types of violence. This is really just to educate. Uh, the show doesn't really give us enough time to go as deep as I'd want to on a topic like this. But you know, like I said, um, April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And so I'm just trying to really bring this conversation up so that people will continue to talk about it. We'll talk to those around them about it and hopefully do a little more research. Um, and I want those that are victims to know that there's community, you know? Uh, so again, well, we'll come back and continue to talk about that. Uh, DMs will be how we close out the show. So if you got a DM for us, as always, drop it in our Loveline IG page. Any question you have, anything you're wondering about, we are here for you. And uh, yeah, that's the plan, y'all. So stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. 
All right, we're back. And uh, again, just giving a little bit of a trigger warning and a content warning that we're talking about sexual assault because April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And what we're really trying to do for the rest of the show is just raise awareness, uh, educate, and also get the conversation started, you know, and helping people better understand what needs to be done and also how they can be a part of creating that change. And when we're talking about sexual assault or sexual violence, we're talking about actions, but we're also talking about attitudes and words. And that's often one of the most powerful ways people can enter creating this kind of change is education and accountability, calling out the problems you're hearing and seeing around you and the attitudes and perspectives, um, and also just really talking about consent and boundaries. So we were going over some of the really heartbreaking stats. Um, now I wanna kind of talk about some of the different types of sexual violence that can occur. Some people aren't really aware of the breadth and, and the depth of this. Uh, sexual assault, something most people are familiar with, and that's about contact or behavior that occurs where the individual hasn't given consent for what's happening, right? And that can be rape, that can be unwanted touch, uh, that can be forcing or coercing someone into sex acts. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily always have to be penetrative. Um, anything unwanted, anytime when someone's boundaries are violated, right? When power is removed from them, when they're assaulted. Uh, then we talk, of course, about child sexual abuse, which is something, you know, we have to talk about, unfortunately, with children from a very young age, is talking about secrets and not keeping them, talking about what good touch and bad touch are, and really instilling in children this sense of autonomy around their bodies and getting to decide who gets to touch them and making them really feel empowered and control around that. And then, of course, we have to talk about domestic violence and intimate partner violence, Um this can happen to anyone in any relationship. Just because it's your boyfriend, girlfriend, or you're married doesn't mean that you can't have boundaries and can't say no to any kind of sexuality or sexual touch. You absolutely can. And that also occurs in same-sex relationships. Uh, men can be victims of sexual assault and sexual violence. Men in relationships with another man or a female in a relationship with another female. Absolutely, that is a form of sexual violence or domestic violence and abuse. And we want to normalize um, really seeing it as such and calling it as such. We don't want to make it something that isn't taken seriously, right? We want to. We really want to be able to call that out. And then we also have to talk about uh, drug and alcohol use. You know, someone being under the influence really removes often their ability to consent. And so we want to be very thoughtful about how we're approaching someone who's taken any kind of intoxicants, right? Because consent might not be possible at that time, depending on how intoxicated they are. Uh, so we want to really be aware of that. And this is part of us looking out for ourselves, but also looking out for those around us. Um, and when we talk about consent, I think what's important is there's two missing pieces. It's consent that needs to be informed, informed consent. And then I always say consent and compassion, right? So informed consent means that everyone involved understands what is on the table, what's going to happen and what's possible. If you're withholding any information or you're surprising someone with something, then they haven't consented to that. They can only consent to what they're aware of. And that's why we have to inform people, right? Um, it's gotta be about an agreement. Asking about boundaries, understanding boundaries, checking, if, checking in if things aren't clear, right? And also understanding that blanket consent where someone just says, yes, I consent to anything that's possible, isn't really realistic and people are allowed to revoke their consent at any time, right? It doesn't matter what they've said yes to and it doesn't matter what's happening. At any time, if someone changes their mind, you have to honor that and that's important because sexual health, sexual wellness is about pleasure and enjoyment, right? And everyone feeling in control and empowered and anytime any of that's moved, whether it's coercion or not being aware of what's gonna happen or what's happening, then we're walking away from consent. And that's why I say consent and compassion 
because someone's saying yes to something, I want us to also consider the impact it's gonna have on them, right? If you think someone's unsure but says yes, or someone's saying yes because they want you to like them or they think it's gonna to lead to a relationship, or if you have any, some, some sense of the fact that maybe this won't make them feel good afterwards, that matters. It's not just enough that someone says yes. I want us to consider, how's this gonna impact them? How's this gonna impact me? Because again, sex should be relegated to, much like dessert, one of those few things in our lives that's just really rooted in joy and pleasure. It, it should never leave us worse off, right? I talk about that in terms of general relationship, right? Relational health, sexual health, it leaves us neutral or better off, but it should never make us feel worse or, or, or worse off, right? Life is hard enough. And so consent's really important. We have to talk about that. But again, we want to talk about that from, from childhood, the ability to say yes and to say no, and then move that into adulthood, right? It's something we have to keep talking about because not people, not, not, not everyone understands that or has had that, brought, that topic brought up, right? Now, assessing consent is about also looking at power dynamics because there are going to be times or individuals based on multitude of different intersecting factors, they might not feel okay speaking up. And so it's on all parties to read cues, to pay attention to body language. Does this person feel comfortable? Do they feel in control? Are they enjoying themselves, right? Asking, it's, none, of this, none of this reduces the pleasure in sex. I always tell people, you know, we check in on, we, we plan vacations. So planning something doesn't make it not fun. We can be at a restaurant, event, or a party having a great time and saying, how are you? Is everything going okay? Are you comfortable? Again, doesn't remove the pleasantry of the meal or the party or wherever we are if someone checks in on us. We want to do that with our sex partners, right? We want to make sure no one walks away feeling bad or are uncomfortable or taken advantage of or coerced. So it's about discussing what you're open to, discussing what you're looking to have happen, checking in during, checking in after, right? Bringing in aftercare. How was that? Did you have fun? Would you want to do that again? Because again, I always get that metric before, during, and after. How do you feel before? How do you feel during? How do you feel after? As a way to really assess the value of something in your life. But, you know, sexual consent's about that too. Checking in. When in doubt, find out. When in doubt, check in. You know, it's not just always on the other person to speak up if there's a problem or concern. It's called empathy. And that's where I say consent and compassion. If you think someone's uncomfortable or you think someone's changed your mind, maybe you bring that up and bring that in. I'm, I'm, I'm questioning whether or not you're still interested in continuing. Like ask. Not everyone's going to feel empowered to give voice but we want people to know that we're a safe space, right? We're gonna continue talking about sexual assault. You know, we are just giving by far a brief, brief, very superficial exploration, but it's important because it's April, Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Um, we'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and April's Sexual Assault Awareness Month, so we're just talking a little superficially about sexual assault, just getting some basic information out there, trying to educate a little, raise awareness, but more importantly, getting the conversation started. I want the conversation to continue long after the show and have people share things they've learned, things they're questioning, and just really kind of bring this, um, bring this home, bring this home with them. Uh, I want to go through some uh, facts. Uh, so again, we talked about how, yes, you can sexually assault a partner or a spouse, right? Um, one in 10 women have experienced rape by an intimate partner in their lifetime, one in 10. Um, you know, marital vow or, a or a commitment to someone as a boyfriend or girlfriend doesn't mean that they're consenting to sex whenever, however, or, you know, with whoever. Um, just because someone maybe, again, doesn't fight back. That's why I keep saying consent and compassion. Like, 
just because someone says yes or hasn't spoken up, if you're reading body language or cues and someone seems uncomfortable, we're checking in and we're asking. Because again, many sexual assault survivors experience a freeze response during the assault and they can't physically move or talk. It's a freeze response. It's a panic response. It's trauma, right? Especially if someone has a history of trauma. They're more prone to that. So again, we want to just check in. I want everyone to have transparent, open communication, period. Uh, again, men, gender, it doesn't really matter. Men are and can be victims of sexual assault and sexual violence, um, right? Um, bum, ba, da, bum. Yeah, and just not assuming that a yes is always a firm yes, and I think that that's okay. And again, people say, oh, it's so hard these days. It's so confusing. No, it really isn't actually. Just be aware and ask questions. You know what I mean? Create a safe space open lines of communication. And again, we're teaching children and individuals from an early age that they can say no, that they determine how they get touched, who they get touched by, and where they get touched. But again, we have to remember that even as adults, I have interesting moments even as an adult, um, whether it's a male touching me and they make some assumption that because I'm a male and they're a male that the boundaries don't exist. And rough example, I have tattoos. People will just lift up my shirt to see the full length of the sleeve on my arm and it's like, you know, we have to be very cautious. Whenever you're going to touch someone, you don't know what their history is. You don't know what they're up against. You have to be very thoughtful. And even though that's far from a sexual assault, it helps. It helped me really personalize unwanted advances, right? And again, that's far harder and far more palpable and consistent for people of other genders and gender expressions. But um, just really try to look as you move through the day at the interesting moments where even in adulthood, we don't really honor boundaries around things like touch. Um, and we're trying to remove some of the silence around this and, and really eliminate and reduce this. And so we want people to have experience of other genders. That's why I don't know why we segregate children, boys over here, girls over there. That creates some of that confusion and, and lack of comfort and confidence in engagement and communication. We should always put all the kids together. Let them learn how to be socialized from the door. Um, comprehensive sex ed for everyone where we talk about all these things. It's not just don't get pregnant and about condoms and STDs and STIs. We're also talking about consent and boundaries and communication and yes, sexual assault. And we're not slut shaming people, right? We're, we're developing a more mature, confident attitude and perspective around sexuality. Cause you know, slut shaming and being sex negative is built into all of this. That's part of the foundation where people don't feel like they can be themselves, ask for what they want, set boundaries, worthy of respect. And, and, and remember that like we're talking about realism, right? And it's okay for us to sometimes have things that aren't sexy, right? Like not all this is hot, not all this is sexy, but it matters. And consent doesn't have to be sexy. I used to get asked by reporters to quote on, how do we make consent sexy? We don't. And we don't have to, and it's not going to necessarily be, and it doesn't need to be. It's two adults having an adult conversation, right? And I always say, if you're not prepared to have those difficult conversations, you're not ready to be having sex. I say that about safer sex practices. If you're not willing to ask partners about last time they were tested and safer sex practices, you're not mature enough or ready to have sex. So we have to start getting those confident conversations going. And that's why I'm always about being sex positive. We have to be able to talk about these things. There should be no shame in this. We have to normalize it. But again, it doesn't have to be sexy. Maybe it's going to be clunky and abrupt to stop and say, I can't tell if you're enjoying this still. Are you interested in continuing? Yeah, that isn't sexy. It doesn't have to be, but pleasure will reemerge when we get back to it, right? But we want to be looking out for each other. We're not being performative. It doesn't need to be the fantasy. Sex often isn't, right? But we're dealing with other people and humans, so we do want to have that compassion. We do want to have boundaries. We do want to check in. We do want to have empathy. Sex isn't the seamless thing. And again, that's where we put too much on what we see in movies or in fantasy or even in uh, porn. 
it, it's clunky. It's start and stop. There's failures. People are let down. There is communication. And we don't have a lot of familiarity with what that looks like or what that sounds like. Where, where would you see that, right? And then we don't talk about it in sex ed and we hope and assume that once they step into their adulthood and start having sex, that they're just magically going to know how to do all this. And that's what I'm saying. Keep the keep everyone blended. In, in, always blend the genders. Let them learn how to be with each other. Put them all together in sex ed. Have that conversation. Talk about it with your adult friends. Guys, call each other out. Don't let them talk poorly about women or, or, or whatever we're talking about, right? Like we all as a culture have to really do this work. Um, those stats are heartbreaking. Those stats are heinous, right? Um, we have the ability to resolve that. So um, let's keep this conversation going. I'll bring more in at some point um, in the next couple weeks to finish out April, um, Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and it's an important topic. Um, all right, coming up next, we're gonna be sliding into those DMs. If you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page. Stick around, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Tonight's question says, Dear Dr. Chris, my name is Gracie. Thank you for taking my question. I'm a 17-year-old living in Texas. I've had my best friend, Danielle, for the last four years, and we do everything together. You're 17 in Texas, four years. Okay, sometimes, though, I feel like we're more than friends. I feel like sometimes she makes me nervous and it's exciting when she texts me. Oh, sounds like someone has a crush. I want to talk to her about how I'm feeling, but I'm afraid it will ruin our relationship. Do you have any advice? Yeah, sometimes you got to leave things out as they are. Sometimes things are as fun, dynamic, cute, and crushy because they are as they are. Um, you know, we have this interesting concept that if what we're doing with someone is feeling good, that inherently pushing the boundaries or doing more would make it better or feel better. And that's not always the case, right? Sometimes what we have that we value so much is in existence because of the exact structure and way we have it in our lives. Sometimes a crush is meant to be that person who makes your coffee every morning and you keep them in fantasy and that's the magic of it. But to get to know them and go on a date, maybe the person isn't what you thought or you know, again, the crush was because of that space or that distance. So I'm always cautious about saying, oh yeah, if you have an interest in someone or if your friend and you have hooked up or whatever, push it further, push it further. That's still this obsessive cultural idea we have about, um, you know, really, really thinking everything should be in service of commitment or marriage or whatever it is. And it's like, no, sometimes things are just meant to be this casual thing that they are. This is someone who's been in your life for four years. Could they potentially become the love of your life? Sure. But could it also just be a friend that you have a little bit of sexual energy or flirtation and crush on? Sure. And here's the thing, the most stable way to have someone in our lives is as a friend. Friendships tend to last longer than most romantic relationships, right? If you're currently in a relationship, think of all the other people you formerly dated, right? Because most of us live in a very monogamy-centric way, which is we have room for that one person, and if that doesn't work out, that person is removed, and we fill that, face with, that space with someone else, and we don't keep those prior people in our lives, which ideally we should. If you're dating someone and romance and sex aren't working out, we should ideally get to keep them in our lives now as a friend but we don't think in those terms. And a lot of people are so threatened by everything that they can't handle thinking in those terms. But that's a beautiful way of being and functioning, right? So my point being that I don't know. I have no idea. I can't predict the future like that. 
And that's where you have to weigh out. If I've had the strong friendship with this person for four years, do I want to risk losing them at a chance at making them my girlfriend? What is it you think you would gain by using that word that you don't already have? You have them around you all the time. You have all your intimacy needs met with them. <clears throat> is it just about sexuality? You might be able to just fold sexuality into your friendship. Again, friendship is such an easy, stable configuration because we don't try to own them. We don't try to control them. But the minute we make someone our boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife, we try to control. We try to set rules. We set a structure. And that is often what doesn't let it sustain itself and it sucks the life out of it. And so I would say, let it be your friend, value all that it provides, go, go practice dating other people. Cause you know, I don't want you to risk losing your friendship. You know, I also want to believe that we should have solid enough friendships after four years that we can talk about this and process those feelings. But I do know that some people then feel kind of misled or taken advantage of if this whole time you've been crushing on them and they thought it was just a platonic friendship, you know? So my advice is to let it be your friend. <clears throat> Go flirt and date other people. There's other people to be with. This person's not the only one. Because after four years, you've built something and I don't think it's worth the risk because the way we run our relationships tend to not be the best and it sets us up for a risk. Isn't that a bummer? It's just the way it is, you know? Anywho, that is that. If you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page in the DMs. And if you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can always do so by going over to wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my face, click on it. Bam! You got all the episodes there. And uh, make sure you are spending the rest of your night or tomorrow rooted in self-care, joy, pleasure, and tons and tons and tons of rest. Uh, tomorrow's show, we're going to be talking about how to give the consent to talk to your kid. But again, this is applicable to everyone. And then we're going to be talking about how to heal sex and body shame. That's right, because we live in a culture that, impl that implants a lot of shame in those domains of our life. And all that swirls together and impacts our general mental health and self-esteem. So it's an important topic. As always, all, thanks for hanging out. And you enjoy the rest of your night.